There was a mental hospital that had a, a um, policy that every year they would try to release a couple patients. And the doctor would interview the patients to release them. And they basically had to answer two questions. And so the doctor brings in the first man. His name is Rick. And he says, Rick, he said, if I was to poke out one of your eyes, he said, what would that be? He said, I'd be half blind. He said, that's right. And he said, what would happen if I poked out both your eyes? He said, I'd be completely blind. He said, that's right. He stood up and shook his hand, and he said, congratulations. And uh, he said, you're free to go. And uh, so as he's leaving, uh, the doctor's filling out the paperwork, and uh, Peter's in the hall waiting to come in to have his turn. So Rick tells Peter what questions he's going to be asked so he can pass the test. He tells him the questions and the answers. And uh, he goes in to see the doctor, and the doctor does his formalities. And he says to Peter, he said, Peter, what would happen if I cut off one of your ears? And uh, Peter, of course, knew the answer. He said, I'd be half blind. <laughs> and uh, he knew the answer because Rick told him. And he said, what happens if I cut off your other ear? He said, I'd be completely blind. And the doctor looked kind of puzzled. And he says, well, Rick, why, why, why do you think you would be completely blind? He said, well, my hat would fall down over my eyes. <laughs> and so <laughs> he wouldn't be able to see. And uh, when we were kids... Uh, growing up, my, my sister, I almost hate to admit this, but you know how kids do things, and we didn't have all the electronic games and stuff, so we made up our own games, and uh, one day we came up with the idea of blindfolding one of us, and so we blindfolded my younger sister, and she put her in the middle of the living room, and she had to try to make her way across the living room, except there was one challenge. We had pillows in our hands, and we would smack her with pillows. And uh, she's, of course, going all over the place, and she doesn't know where it's coming from because she can't see to stabilize herself. And, you know, that really makes me think about so many people in our world that are blind spiritually. They have no spiritual sight. Satan, as it were, has his big pillow, and he begins to bludgeon them and hit them and they don't know where it's coming from and they're staggering and they're trying to figure out how do I make sense out of this? How does it really work? And when we look in Matthew chapter 4 there's a quote from the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 4 beginning in verse 13 it says leaving Nazareth he went and lived talking about Jesus in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali these were two tribes of Israel the way to the sea along the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The good news is there's light for darkness. Now when the Bible talks about darkness, spiritual darkness, it's talking about sin. It's talking about spiritual blindness that we have. But the good news is Jesus said a light has dawned and that light 
is Jesus. He is the one who has come. That's not showing up very well, is it? I don't know why. Uh, but in Romans 1.21, it says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. A darkened heart is the result of spiritual blindness. The reason the light of Christmas is essential is because of the spiritual blindness and the spiritual darkness that is in our world. There's no way for us to know the truth. There's no way for us to be set free from our darkness. There's nothing to give sight to our spiritual blindness except the light of truth, the light of Christmas. So the darkened heart is a result of spiritual blindness. The Bible says that a fool is a spiritually blind person. And here's how Proverbs describes a fool. First of all, he thinks he's wise and he has understanding when in reality he is blind, foolish, and confused. And let me just quickly, I'm just going to mention these real quick. Uh, but in Proverbs, when it talks about a fool, here's how it describes a fool. He is convinced that he is right. He qu uh, quickly shows his annoyance. He is hot-headed and reckless. He spurns discipline and correction. He wastes money. He delights in airing his own opinions. He is quick to quarrel. He scorns wisdom. He is wise in his own eyes. He trusts in himself. He rages and scoffs, and there is no peace around him, and he gives full vent to his anger. Now, when the light comes, the light of Christmas, the light of Christ, why is that light here? Well, Isaiah 42, 7 says this, To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That's not going to show up. That, that's darkness right there. I don't know why it showed up fine on my computer screen. There we go. Hey, the light is on. From darkness to light. To open eyes that are blind. That's why Jesus came. Because why? Every one of us have spiritually blind eyes apart from the light of the gospel of truth. That's why Jesus came. That is the true light of Christmas. That's why he came. Here's what it says in Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So how do we get light? How do we come out of spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness? We do so by coming to the light of God's word, the light of truth. It is the only thing that will give us spiritual vision. The only thing that will do that. Darkness is the result of spiritual blindness. Darkness is the result of spiritual blindness. And who causes this spiritual blindness? Well, it actually comes from two sources. The first one is Satan. Satan causes spiritual blindness in unbelievers. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. No, it's not. A, there we go. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see what? The light of the gospel. 
of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is the gospel. It is the light that will set us free from our spiritual darkness and our spiritual blindness and give light to our darkened heart. That's the reality of Christmas, what God will do for us. So Satan causes spiritual blindness in us, but you know there's a second aspect of this spiritual blindness that is not attributed to Satan. Where is it attributed to? Us. Us. Let me go back here. Self-deception causes spiritual blindness in unbelievers. Self-deception. We can deceive ourselves, and here's how we do it. We think we're better than we really are. Because you ask the average person on the street, are they a good person, what do they say? What's the average person say? Are you a good person? Yes. Don't kill anybody, don't hurt anybody. I'm a good person. What does the Bible say about good people? There's none righteous, no, not one. There is not a good person at all. And here's what it says in uh, Psalm 36, 2. Here's the self-deception. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. In other words, I love my sin, I enjoy my sin, and therefore I flatter myself that I'm really okay it can't be that bad. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. How could this be wrong? If something that feels so right, how could it be so wrong? That's the self-deception of sin. And that is the blindness of Satan in our lives. Look what it goes on to say. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Because the average person, as we talked about even last week, will lie. They will lie. They will be deceptive. Why? Because of their darkened heart. Because of their sin. Kids have no problem cheating on a test or a paper in school. Why? They justify, I need help. <laughs> and so we justify that, but that comes out of the darkened heart. The spiritual blindness to justify my behavior. A person will be unfaithful in their marriage and say, well, if my wife would have treated me better, I wouldn't have done that. And what do we do? We cast blame on somebody else and we blame somebody else for our sin. That is self-deception. And it's depravity. He goes on to say in verse 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. See, he meditates, he thinks, he processes, but all of his thought processes and all of his meditation are centered around things that are contrary to God's will. Why? Because he's spiritually blind. He does not know the light of Christmas. He does not know the light of truth. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, sin is not just about willfulness that is a conscious stepping over God's boundaries. Sin is also about blindness that is not seeing what needs to be seen 
to live as God has called me to live. He says the sinner is both willfully blind and blindly willful. And it is so true. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. And the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, be careful that you don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Satan blinds unbelievers then. If I think I'm better than I am, what do I do? I have self-justification. I justify my behavior. I'm a self-righteous individual, and I'm okay. If, if we looked at the, take a moment and look at the story of the par, uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you see that very thing. He comes into the temple, and here's what it says in Luke 18, 9. He told them this parable to some who trusted what? In themselves, that they were righteous. They trusted in their own self-righteousness that they were okay. See, you bring the Pharisee into a counseling session, you know what the Pharisee says? I don't have any problems. My wife's a problem. She's got the issues. I don't, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. Really? The Bible says if you trust in yourself, you're not good. Trust in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, well, he's so good, he can't be around other people. God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this lowly tax collector. God forbid that I would be the scum of the earth like this guy. He goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm a good person. Look at my list. Check it out. Check it twice. I'm a good person. Self-justification. Self-righteous. But the tax collector, the man standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which prayer did God hear? Which person did he respond to? I tell you, he said, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified before God because he did not see himself as self-righteous at all. Rather, the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the unbeliever is condemned because, three reasons. The unbeliever is condemned for three reasons. And I'm going to look, let's look at actually in the scripture for a moment. Let's go back to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. This tells us about unbelievers and why they are condemned before God, and why we need the light of Christmas in our lives. Why Jesus came to be the light. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe 
stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So the unbeliever, according to this passage, is condemned for three reasons. The first one is he has not believed. The revelation, the light of the gospel, the truth is that we are born in sin, separated from God. We are wicked, evil, vile, corrupt people apart from Jesus Christ. He's saying if you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you're justifying yourself with your own actions, your own behavior, you have not believed in Jesus to take away your sin. That unbelief the Bible says, causes us to be condemned. It's clear in Scripture. Number two, he's condemned because he loves the darkness. He loves the darkness. He pursues darkness. He practices evil. He is full of pride. He does not want to confess his sin. He denies his need of Christ or salvation. He's going to do it on his own. Self-justification. He loves the darkness. Why? Because he's spiritually blind. He does not know what the scripture says of how to be set free from his own sin and his self-deception. There was a website uh, called the Experience Project, and it describes itself as a place to share life experiences from people like you. As of January 2014, there were over 36 million visitors. Visitors to this site were asked to share their thoughts about life experiences by answering questions like, what does loneliness feel like? Or who do you want to spend time with? Or what is your favorite pastime? In one post, readers were asked to respond to the following statement, I prefer darkness over light. A young woman going by the screen name Beyond Repair offered a particular honest and insightful response. Here's what she said. I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. However, in the darkness, you live in bondage, you live in fear, you live in guilt, and you live in shame. I don't think that's a good place to be. When we come out into the light and we have nothing to hide, we can be who we are. The Bible says we will know the truth and the truth will what? 
set us free. There's freedom in truth. There's nothing to hide. 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And the Bible says when we accept Christ into our life, we become children of light. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, the scripture says we lie and we do not live by the truth. Powerful words. They're not hard to understand, are they? It's pretty clear. And then it goes on to say, if we walk in the light, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The third reason a person is condemned is because he hates the light. He doesn't believe. He loves darkness but he hates the light. He hates the truth. He hates church. He stays away from church. He stays away from Christians. He stays away from God's word. He turns it off. He doesn't want to hear it. He ignores it. He neglects it. He rejects it. He hates the light. Why? Because the light exposes you. It shows everything about you. And so therefore he runs from it. I don't know who said this, but I like the quote, and it says, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. There's a former Maryland poet named Lucille Clifton. She wrote a poem in which she pictures herself trying to keep her eyes closed, ignoring the truth. But then she finishes the poem with a voice telling her, You might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. <laughs> I like that. You might as well answer the door if God is knocking on the door of your heart because he is furiously knocking to get into your life because he loves you and he cares about you and he sees you're headed down a path of destruction. And love says, I don't want to see you destroyed. Do you know what we did as parents when our kids were young and they wanted to touch the hot stove? Don't touch the hot stove. Why? It will hurt you. I don't want you to be hurt. I want to protect you. God wants to protect us from being hurt. He says, here's the way out of your spiritual blindness and your spiritual darkness. Come to the light of truth. Will you open it and will you understand who you are and who I am and the plan that I have for you? He goes on. So who escapes condemnation? Who escapes it? How do we escape condemnation? Because here's the answer. When we talk about the light of Christmas, Jesus came for condemned men and women and boys and girls of which we all are condemned because at some point none of us believed. So here's how we escape condemnation. Number one, the man who practices truth and lives righteously escapes condemnation. Now that sounds like a works answer, but listen to me. The man who practices truth, the first practice of truth is recognizing I am condemned by my unbelief and I come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
I came to the point where I realized Jesus Christ died on the cross for not just the sins of the world, but for Roy Burkett's sin, most importantly. And for your sin, put your name in there. Jesus died for you. That is the truth. And when I begin to practice that truth in my life and I confess my sin to God, I'm a sinner, I'm worthy of death, separation from God, the light of truth comes in. Remember what we read earlier? The unfolding of God's word brings light. I came to this understanding of my sin not through osmosis and not through the world. I came through it through God's revelation. I came to understand that I was lost. I was an unbeliever, and I've come to faith in Jesus. So the man who practices truth and lives righteously escapes condemnation. And what it says when you practice this, you do it continuously and habitually. That's how we practice the truth. Not just today, every day. We live continuously habitually a lifestyle of obedience it doesn't mean perfection though there'll be times we slip up and we sin and we do wrong but the bible says we can confess our sin to god and he will forgive us so you're not going to do it perfectly i don't do it perfectly times i got to apologize to my wife my children times i might have to apologize to you um, because we're all broken so but we seek to practice that truth and follow it he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes all the dirt and all the mess out of our life. Oh, I didn't see the second one. Did I miss it? There we go. The man who escapes condemnation is the man who comes to the light. He escapes condemnation. Coming to the light, the light of truth that God has given us in his word. That's how we escape condemnation. And thirdly, the man whose works are wrought in God escapes condemnation. That the reason I do anything good at all, the reason I have any kind of righteousness at all is because of the grace of God in me. I don't have supernatural strength by myself. I don't have the ability to do what the scripture says without God giving me the strength and the power to do it. That's why I invite him into my life, because I can't do it myself. I need his help. I need his wisdom. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his love in my life. Because apart from him, I can't do it at all. So, let me ask you a question. Like the lady that wrote the poem, she tried to keep her eyes closed, ignoring the truth. But then she finishes the poem with a voice telling her, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. I ask you the question this morning, is the truth furiously knocking on the door of your heart. What are you going to do about it? That's the question. Will you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. 
And as I close this portion of the service in prayer, we'll have our praise team come back up. But let me ask you a question. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you know that the light of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, why did Jesus become a baby? So we'd have something cute to look at? I don't think so. He came to grow up as a man and to give his life on the cross. The Bible says there's sin requires a payment, and the payment for sin is death. Jesus was willing to die your death. He was willing to die my death on the cross to pay for sin. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood that we could be forgiven. He was the sinless sacrifice for sin. He was the only one who could pay for sin. Because we are all born in sin. Separated from God. And we are born spiritually blind. We are born with spiritual self-deception. And I don't know what you are trusting in. I don't know what your moral standard is. But God's standard is perfection. Which none of us measure up to. But God says... I'm sending my son Jesus because I love you. And just like we protect our kids from touching the burner, God wants to not only protect us, but deliver us from our sin. That is the greatest story we could ever hear. The light of Christmas. The greatest thing you can do for someone in the dark is give them a light. The greatest thing you can do for someone in sin is to give them a rescue plan out. God has done both. Have you accepted his rescue plan? All you need to do is say in your heart, God, I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I want to come out of spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness, and I want to give you my life. I want to come to the light. You have to stop loving the darkness. You've got to stop hating the light and come to the truth. Will you give your life to Jesus Christ today? And if not, would you keep coming and hearing the truth? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Continue to come and hear the truth of God's word. Because the Bible says we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And there is no greater gift you will receive this Christmas or any other Christmas than the gift of Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. If you have questions and I can pray with you after the service or talk with you or call the office, feel free to do that. That's why we're here. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. You might know Christ. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.